You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. It's good to see you here today. Um, 2,000 years ago, on a Thursday night, Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And the next morning, he was very, very unfairly tried. He was then beaten, whipped, mocked, spit on, almost to the point of death there. And then he was led outside of the city to a hill called the Skull, where he was crucified and executed. And over a six-hour period, Jesus endured intense suffering to the point of death. And after those six hours, they took his body down and they put it in a tomb that did not even belong to Jesus. And if anyone witnessed this, anyone who knew Jesus, followed Jesus, loved Jesus, this had to seem like the worst day ever until the next day. Then came Saturday, the second day, which was possibly the darkest day in the history of the world. Because that would be the day, as Lee was kind of leading us in prayer earlier to to confess, um, if ever it seemed like hope was just lost and gone, um, that would have been the day. And I would say to you this morning that if you don't get past the second day, uh, there is no hope. None whatsoever. But that's why we care so much about the third day. Um, we're, we're third day people. Um, in fact, that's what Easter is all about. Um, but so in saying that, I have a question not for you to respond out loud to, but for you to prayerfully consider. Why are you here today? You know, what, what brought you here? Why are you here today? If we took a survey on everybody on the way in the door and we compiled those surveys and we came up with a collective answer, it would sound something probably like, well, I'm here because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And that rose from the dead part, that's pretty important in there. Absolutely right. And I would maybe ask you, okay, well, but why is that worth celebrating? Why is that worth celebrating? Well, so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could be set free. Okay, great. But what is it that I need to be set free from? Why, why do I care about being set free? Why, why do I care about this? I'm not trying to be a, an irritant or a pest um, sometimes I like doing that, but not today. I'm not trying to confuse things. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm doing, trying for quite the opposite. Um, my hope and my prayer is that actually when we're through with our time together this morning, that you have greater clarity than ever. But I want to say this. You will only get that clarity through asking and answering that question, why? Why is today Easter so significant? Why is today worth celebrating? And back to the question that I think might be most important for us, why should you care about being set free? If you know anything about the Civil War, you probably have heard of Harriet Tubman. 
Harriet Tubman was responsible for leading countless amounts of slaves to freedom through what was called the Underground Railroad. And not long after the Civil War, Harriet Tubman was quoted as saying this, I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they'd known they were slaves. If only they would known. You see, you don't really care a lot about freedom and liberty until you first of all care that um, you're being robbed of it. But then moreover, you also have to begin to care about what that means. What are the ramifications and the consequences of that? Let me put it another way. You don't care about being free until you realize that you're a slave. And you don't really care about being a slave until you realize that you were intended and created to be free. I don't know that there would be a lot of argument with this to say that one of the greatest tragedies in the history of our country was that at the end of the Civil War, which was in great part fought to end slavery... One of the greatest tragedies in the history of our country was that as slavery was abolished, that there were many, many slaves who, quite frankly, didn't want to be free. They didn't want any part of it. And and we read that or we hear that and we think, that's unthinkable. That's ridiculous. Someone paid for, uh, fought for, maybe they even paid with their life for your freedom. You should honor that. Well, it's not quite that simple. Let me explain why. Because many of those slaves knew that they were being freed from something, but they weren't being freed to anything. They weren't being freed to anything. They knew that there had to be something better out there, but the idea of actually being able to lay hold of that themselves, there wasn't a lot of belief that that could happen. They knew that much of what they were enduring was not only bad, but that it was just wrong. But even though it was bad and it was wrong, you know what else it was? It was familiar. And and what I'm about to say may sound a bit ludicrous to you because it, it honestly should be, but it's the truth. To many of them, that's what they were comfortable with. Now, not the kind of comfort that you and I seek of, you know, I've got a puppy and my blanket on the sofa and I'm going to watch a movie and and that's great and you come snuggle up with me. No, that's not comfort. Some of you right now are going, I would not be comfortable there. It's not that kind of comfort. It's the kind of comfort that says, you know what? I have food in my stomach and I have a roof over my head, so I will endure this. It was basically a mentality that said, I already know I can survive this. I understand there are some bad things here that you want to free me from these things, but what on earth is out there waiting for me? For many of them, honestly, this wasn't slavery. It was simply life as they knew it. Why? Well, because again, you don't care about being free, you don't really do something about that until you realize that you're a slave and you also realize I'm not supposed to be a slave. You don't care about being a slave until you realize that you were intended and created to be free. 
And at some point you have to realize, and I'm no longer just speaking about those slaves, I'm speaking about all of us. At some point, you and I have to realize that we were created for so much more than to simply survive. And I want to submit to you this morning that I believe that some of us, we have embraced what we've been freed from. And let's talk about a few of those things real quick. That through Jesus' death and resurrection that we've been freed from what? Well, hell, which we deserved. We've been freed from the wrath of God, which was all placed on Jesus. He bore our sin on the cross. We've been freed from condemnation. Those are good things to be freed from. Am I right? Yes, I am absolutely right. But I believe that we have embraced some of these things that we've been freed from, but somehow we've missed what it is that we've been freed to. The things that we've been saved for. I mean, did God just save us to save us from those things or was he saving us to something greater? Easter is the day that the slaves celebrate being set free. And so that's what we're here to do and what we're going to do this morning. If you're new to the brook today or you haven't been here in a while, we've spent the last two months walking through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And uh, so if if you want to turn there, we're going to be in Galatians 3 and 4 this morning. If I was to try and sum up for you in one sentence what Paul has said up to this point in Galatians, all the way from the beginning of the letter to almost the end of chapter 3, First of all, I'm going to borrow from David Platt. David Platt put it this way. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what Paul has been communicating. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the David Platt version. Now I'll give you the Brian Mayfield version, which is quite a bit simpler. That's the way I roll. But I believe what Paul's been communicating is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And you have to remember the context of why this letter's being written. It's being written to these churches where the people came to know Christ through Paul preaching the gospel. They believed that Jesus Christ alone was all that they needed. Well, then some folks came in after the fact and began preaching to them, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to do this and you need to do this. Essentially... You need to be a Christian, but you also need to be a Jew. And Paul is saying, no, you need Jesus. The last couple of weeks, we have looked at the law, that God gave us the law to reveal to us that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. But thank God that before he even gave the law, he had already given the promise, which is where he said, I will send that Savior that you so desperately need. And God, the Father, fulfilled that promise through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the promise fulfilled. And so I would like to ask you this morning, because of that, to consider not only what Jesus has saved you from, but what he has saved you to. And to be able to ask the question, am I living in a way that honors, embraces, and cherishes all that Jesus has saved me to? With that, let's begin. We're going to be Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. 
Paul says, he begins by saying, think of it this way. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to promise. So Paul is saying, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And for every person who has ever been saved by Christ, anywhere in the world, anywhere throughout history, since Jesus died and rose again, not only are you saved, but all of you are one in Christ. There's no slave or free. There's no male, female. There's none of those distinctions. Those walls and those barriers have been knocked down and you are one. And if you belong to Christ, then you are an heir according to promise. That's really important. Hang on to that. Let's keep going. Chapter four, verse one. Paul started out by saying, think of it this way. Well, now he comes along in chapter four and he says, Think of it another way. Let me give you another example. I mean that the heir, he just said, you are heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. So Paul says, let me put it to you another way. An heir, while still a child, is no different than a slave. What is Paul meaning here? Well, he's saying, look, if you have this heir, and he's inherited all of these things, if he's still a child, it really doesn't matter because even though legally he will one day be the owner of them, until he reaches that age that his father is set, this stuff, it's not his. It belongs to him, but it doesn't belong to him yet. It, it's something that's not yet fulfilled. And so Paul kind of comes along and without saying it, he sort of says, this is a great illustration. Not egotistically, but I'm giving you a really, really good illustration here. And here's why. Because before Christ, we were all slaves. All of us. Before Christ came, we were all slaves. So back to the question, why should you care about being set free? Well, here's why. Because you entered this world as a slave. Slaves to sin. Romans 3.23, a scripture that many of us are probably familiar with, the apostle Paul says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm not trying to be silly this morning, but you know, all, you know who's included in that? All of us. We're all in. That is how we all enter the world. And we're not here today to bash on Adam and Eve. They're not here to, you know, stick up for themselves. But here's the facts. 
Because of the choice of the first son and daughter, we all entered this world with a seed of sin in us rebelling against the Father. Now, understanding this, I want you to take a look with me at something Jesus said in John chapter 8. And it's important to note that what we're going to look at, Jesus is not talking to the Pharisees or the scribes or the Judaizers. These are not people who have come against him trying to lead him into saying something that he'll regret or try and trap him. He's speaking to people at this point who their desire is to follow him. Look in John 8 verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Understand what's being said here. Hey, Jesus, I think you're forgetting who my mama and daddy are. Like, there's Abraham and do, 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 down the line. Here's me. I'm a Jew. What are you talking about? I've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, first of all, they're apparently forgetting some events in the past. But there's also this insane level of arrogance and pride going on here. We have never been slaves to anyone, Jesus. Look how Jesus responds. Verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Slavery refers to a condition in which an individual is owned or controlled by someone or something other than himself. And I think when we've thought about the word slavery, we've thought more about the word owned. Well, maybe we need to shift our thinking to the word controlled. It's a condition of being controlled by someone or something other than yourself. He, she, you, me, completely subservient to a dominating influence. Well, so at this point, Paul, Paul has given every example that he can think of to help the Galatians, to help us understand, accept, believe, and probably most importantly, be broken over the fact that every single one of us entered this world a slave, a slave to sin. Paul, he is exhausting himself to deliver the bad news. He wants to make sure that every single one of us understand and are impacted by the bad news. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of this, what we should be paying, the penalty for that is death and separation from God for eternity. But... Paul says in Galatians 4, 3, every single one of us, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. We all entered into this world as slaves to sin. Bad news delivered. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us. So that we might receive 
adoption as sons. Maybe right now, this morning, some of you for the very first time are going, adoption? I don't need to be adopted. I have a, I have a mom and dad. That's great. We'll hang on to that, all right? But Jesus did what he did to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts that cries out from within us, Abba, Father, affirms to us that we are children of God. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. We were slaves to sin and to this world, but because of Jesus' life, his obedience, his death, and his resurrection, we can now be adopted as sons of the Father through faith. And I want to first of all point out to you, you may be reading this this morning and going, now, why does Paul keep saying sons? Why does he say sons and daughters? Is Paul kind of being discriminating here? No, actually, it's the total opposite. Because in Paul's day and time, do you know how much inheritance a daughter received? Zero. And so what Paul is saying here to the Galatians and to us is, hey, it doesn't matter if you're a daughter or a son, if you're a slave, if you're free, it doesn't matter any of that. You are all in God's sight through Christ, sons of the living God, because you are now heirs and you have an inheritance through Christ. But now typically, when we hear the word adoption, or we think of someone who needs to be adopted, who is it? I mean, what do we call those people that we think of? orphans. Well, Paul, I don't know if you saw it go past the plate, but Paul just threw us a nasty curveball. Because what Paul just said was, orphans are not the only ones in need of adoption. So are slaves. So are slaves. You see, if you took a trip back to Paul's day and time, let's say that we traveled to Galatia, in any of these provinces where any of these churches were, and you made your way into the city center, do you know what you would find there? You'd find a slave market. And you would find slaves in shackles waiting to be bought. Not viewed as humans, but viewed as property and as a commodity. And probably 95, 96% of those slaves... What would happen to them is exactly what you and I expect or think would happen to them. Someone would come in and they would buy that slave, take them home, and they would put them to work. They didn't belong to themselves. And I know that it should. Just saying and uttering those words, it should sound utterly ridiculous to us. To hear that, like somebody at some point should have scratched their head and just thought, this doesn't seem like this should be the way it is. Nonetheless, here we are. 95, 96% of those slaves would be sold into slavery just like we expect. But almost, almost all of the rest of them, every once in a while, someone would come into the slave market 
And I don't know if they were just so rich that they didn't know what to do with their money, or maybe they were poor and they saved every cent they had to be able to do this. But every once in a while, someone would come into the slave market and they would pay for that slave. And then they would bring that slave to them, sign those papers, hand them to the slave and say, I just bought your freedom. Have a good life. They would purchase their freedom and set them free. On an even more rare occasion, something else would happen. Somebody would come into that slave market and they would lay the money down and they would purchase that slave's freedom. But not to just save them from some things and send them on their merry way. They would purchase their freedom to adopt them. You've never had a mother and father that you knew. You've never known what it meant to have a home. You've never been loved. Well, I'm going to take care of those things. Someone would come in there and yes, they would care about what they were saving them from, but they were also saving them to something. And they would adopt them as sons, make them their very own. Understand the father told the son, I want you to go and I want you to rescue all of the slaves. But here's the thing. I don't just want you to free them. I want to adopt them back as my own. I want them to belong to me. So consider this morning, not only what Jesus has saved us from, but what he is saving us to. Morgan and I have some very dear friends that we don't get to see nearly as often as we would like. Named Todd and Kristen. And several years ago, Todd and Kristen, Todd and Kristen are six, seven years younger than us. They began trying to have kids and it just was not happening. And they began praying, Lord, do you want us to adopt? And they felt very quickly, very clearly that God was saying yes. And so they began praying. Okay, Lord, where, when? This is a really, really big world. And they felt the Lord leading them to adopt a child from somewhere outside of the States. And so they began going through everything it took to be cleared to do that. And then they kept praying, Lord, where do you want us to go? Lead us to this child. And God led them halfway around the world to a little place called Taiwan, where this mother was going to have a baby girl, but wasn't going to be able to keep that baby girl. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there are some countries in the Far East where having girls, that's just not really something that uh, they want you to do. And they may let you have one, but in this day and time, still, there are some countries where you're not going to have two girls. Sons are what they want you to produce. But Todd and Kristen, they began raising the $20,000 that it was going to take to pay for this adoption. And raising the money it was going to take for both of them to fly halfway around the world. And they got the call and they went and they were there when this little angel came into the world. 
And they took little Lainey Lewis and made her their own, brought her home, and she is now part of their family. And I want to throw this in. I forgot to share this part with the, the folks in the first worship service. But amazingly enough, you know, I've seen God do this more than once. Actually, I've seen him do it more than a bunch of times. Um, not really long at all after they adopted Lainey, guess what happened? Kristen got pregnant with twins. And so now Lainey has two little brothers. I know that you've never met Todd and Kristen, but I think that you can run with me on this and understanding something. They weren't just rescuing this little girl from Taiwan. They weren't rescuing her from being an orphan. They wanted her. They, they wanted her to be their own. They, they wanted to be her parents. They wanted to be her family. They wanted to give her their name. They wanted her to know what it meant to be loved. They weren't just saving her from things. They were saving her to things as well. And her status that may have been something that was declared by a judge halfway around the world that you have now been adopted. These are now your parents. But understand something. Her relationship, her confidence in knowing that these are my parents, that's affirmed brand new every day by the love that she receives from Todd and Kristen. These are my parents because they say, this is my child. Jesus didn't have to raise $20,000. Jesus paid with his life so that he could reconcile us back to the Father. The Father might adopt us as sons. I want you to read with me something that J.I. Packer writes in his very, very famous book, Knowing God. He says, the doctrine of justification, that is us being right with God, the doctrine of justification makes us right before God the judge. But in the doctrine of adoption, we are loved by the Father. In justification, the picture is legal. We stand before a judge who makes a pronouncement. But in adoption, the judge not only declares us not guilty, he then steps down off of his bench, comes down to where you are, takes your chains off of you and says, come home with me as a son. Come home with me as my son. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. Through Christ, we can now have the name of Jesus Christ written over our lives. Jesus' righteousness now belongs to us. When God looks at us, he sees his son. Through Christ, we are reconciled back to the Father. And Jesus freed us from slavery so that the Father might adopt us as sons. And now as sons, we are also heirs. And if we are heirs, this means we have an inheritance of immense eternal glory. Jesus didn't just save us from hell 
and from the wrath of God and from condemnation, Jesus saved us back to the Father. And so I would ask you this morning, are you living like a son and daughter of God? Are you living like an heir of the most high God? Or for some reason, are you still living like a slave? There's really just two of us here today. Just two. There are those of us who are still slaves to sin. And there are those of us who have been set free. And so I would ask you this morning, if you are still a slave to sin, if you have still yet to come to the place of believing that Jesus Christ atoned for, paid for, died and rose from the grave for your sin, don't you want to just stop living in slavery to that? Because see, we've been praying that God would be bringing you to a place of saying, I don't want to be a slave anymore. I don't want that anymore. But I would ask you this morning, if you've been set free from sin, if you've been set free from slavery, why would you ever go back to living like a slave? Why would you go back to that? I want to read with you, as we're about to close here, from Romans chapter 6. And we are going to read pretty much almost all of Romans chapter 6. And here's why we're going to read all of Romans 6. Because the spirit of the living God speaking through the word of God is way more powerful and important than anything I have to say this morning. Anything. So, open your heart and join me. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You may recognize those words. Every time we baptize somebody, we not only say that we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we follow that by saying you have been buried through baptism with Christ and raised to walk a new life. That's what Paul declares in Romans chapter 6. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Brian, is Paul saying that if I become a Christian, I'm no longer going to sin? No, he is not saying that. Hang out with me for a week and you'll know. He's not saying that. Ride in the car with some of these folks in here. You'll know. That's not what Paul is saying. But what Paul is saying is that because of the work of Christ and because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you and I can walk in victory over sin. We can. We do not have to be slaves to it anymore. Done. 
Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Paul is saying, so hey, if, if, if when we sin, if that highlights the fact of how gracious and merciful God is, should I just go ahead and keep on sinning? Because that'll make God's grace just seem that much bigger. Paul says, no, no way, no how, no chance, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, You are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart through the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The inheritance that you and I now have as sons and daughters of God is to walk in him, refining us, and eventually one day in glory with him. For the wages of sin is death. That's what you and I, every single one of us, that's what we owed. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, Jesus rescued us from slavery so that God might adopt us as sons. We are now sons and daughters of God, and because we are sons and daughters, we are also heirs in Christ. Jesus reconciled us back to the Father so that we might walk in fellowship with him, that we might know him. Jesus conquered sin and death, that we might live in victory over it. And that is why one of the most tragic events the world could ever witness is a slave who's been set free going back to bondage and slavery. That's not where we're called to walk. Jesus Christ purchased our inheritance. The Spirit affirms that inheritance within us. You belong to the Father. And what is that inheritance that you and I have been reconciled back to the Father? So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir in Christ through God. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we first of all just thank you today that through the price of your life that you have purchased our freedom from sin and death. That because of you, Lord Jesus, we now no longer have to walk in condemnation. We thank you that you bore our shame and our suffering. That you absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. And that every day your mercy is new to us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we desire this morning to live as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Lord Jesus, we, we pray that, that today and throughout these days ahead, that through submission to your word and through the guidance of your spirit, that you would teach us to walk as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord Jesus, we also pray that you would remind us that you reconciled us, you saved us to send us. You reconciled us so that we would now be ministers of reconciliation, that we would now be the ones taking hope to a lost world. Lord, renew our hearts this morning. Break our hearts for the things that break yours. In just a moment, we're going to respond to God. And as we do this morning, we not only have an opportunity to sing praise to him, to pray, but to also take the Lord's Supper. And I want to encourage you that if you are a follower of Christ, that you come, whether you come by yourself or with a friend, with your family, that you come and you take that bread and that cup and that you remember that Jesus' blood was poured out, that his body was broken for you and me, that we might have life. But if you're here today and you would say, Brian, I, I, don't, I honestly don't know if I'm a Christian, I don't know if I've been set free. In just a minute, some of our pastors, elders, leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. They would love to share the gospel with you. They would love to pray with you. I'll tell you what we want. You you may have walked into this room spiritually dead today. We are praying that you walk out of here resurrected. Lord, in these moments... We lift you up. We honor you. Lord Jesus, your name is above all names. You're King of kings, Lord of lords. Be exalted in this place.
Let's stand and worship together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.